You know, I want to glorify Jesus today in our minds and in our hearts. You know, this is just a, a message about line upon line, precept upon precept, stuff that we already know. But I want us to look at it again. I want us just to get another layer of faith built up and a sure foundation that we have in him. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be a fancy burst of praise that comes from our lips. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be something deep and theological. A simple thank you is enough sometimes. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for changing me. Thank you, Jesus, for having an impact on my life. Has he had an impact on your life? Has he changed you? May I look around today and I see people who are radically changed. You know, we can think in the Bible and we can think of people, you know, the woman, as Tony spoke about, the woman with the issue of blood who had been in a condition for 12 years and was radically changed by Jesus. We can think of Zacchaeus, who was up the tree, wee little man, and how he was radically changed. And everyone's seen it. The Apostle Paul, his life was changed. I can look around, I can see people who were going through things before they met Jesus. People who were drunks, people who were argumentative, people who were troublemakers, people who were hell-bent on a lost eternity. But Jesus broke in on their lives. That's a wonderful Jesus we serve. He's a Jesus that has an impact in our lives, who changes us fundamentally. No social program, no laws, no, no education will change you the way he can change you. He can change you in a way that is profound. This morning, I want to speak about Jesus and I want to, the times in the Bible that Jesus said, I will. You know, whenever someone says, I will, it's not a, a notion. It's not an idea. I have an idea. It's, it's an affirmative. It's a positive. It's a commitment. Whenever we, Sharon and I got married, what was part of the ceremony? You've heard it time and time again. Will you take this woman? The response is, I will. It wasn't, I feel like it. It wasn't, I have the idea, or at the moment I'm in the, in, inclined to. It was, I will. It was an act of my will to take her. Yes, of course, there was emotions, there was feelings, but that's not the point. The point is I was making a conscious decision. And Jesus, in the same way, has made a commitment to us. Yes, he's made a commitment to us in the covenant that he has made with us whenever he died on the cross and he rose again. Yes, there's a commitment in that. I'm not taken away from that at all. But I'm saying on top of that, he has made a commitment to be there. And in a few times we'll look at, he's made a commitment to answer our needs, to be there at times when we need him the most. So the first verse I want to look at, if we can turn in, our, in the Bible to John chapter 6. We will be looking at uh, seven of these, so you can count them off if you're eager to get home. Seven times, and it will be, all be in the Gospels, so you won't have to go too far back and forward. So John chapter 6 and verse 37. It says, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Yes, we're jumping into the middle of a passage here and an illustration, but we're just, I just want, don't have time. We just have to focus on the actual verses here. Jesus' message to us today and throughout the last thousands of years has been a message of good news. 
It hasn't been a message of a good idea, a good philosophy, a good way of thinking, a good way of living. He didn't come to make us good living people, which is what the world calls us. He came with good news, the good news of the gospel. The good news is that we were born in sin and we have been saved, that he has made a way for us to be redeemed. We were born with, with an inclination towards things which are not right. We were born scarred and marred by sin. We, we, we didn't breathe every breath of praise to God. We didn't give him glory for the things he had done. We didn't give him glory for the world that he has given us, for the sun in the sky, for the trees around us. You remember the illustration about the, man, about the rich man who owned the vineyard and he sent people to work in the vineyard? And they went down to work in the vineyard and when he sent people to, to get the tithe or to get his offering or to get his share of the profits, they, t- they turned and they said, no, I'm not giving you nothing. That was us. We were like that. We didn't wake up in the morning. We weren't born with the first thing on our lips saying praise. We were shaping and made with a sin in our lives, with sin in our lives, propensity towards it. You don't need me to open the Bible to tell you that. Nobody out there in the street needs me to to read them scriptures to say, you're a sinner, and here's why. You just need to look at the news. You just need to look in the papers. Time and time again, we see stories of of children, of people going through terrible things, experiencing terrible things, doing terrible things to each other. We only need to look at our kids. Look at the, the young baby, young child, I should say, who teaches them how to steal. Nobody teaches them how to steal. Who teaches him how to lie? Did you take that cookie? It's got chocolate all over his face. No, I didn't. Who taught him how to do that? Nobody taught him because it was in his nature. We were all like that, which is, which is terrible, but at the same time, it's wonderful. It means that we all start from the same place. You know, society says it's what they watch, it's what they eat, it's what the parents do or what the parents don't do. And sure, all those factors have, have an impact, but they're not the underlying cause. The truth is that we were all born as rebels, rebels before God. Even as adults, we start to use psychology and philosophy and say, you know, that's nice for you, but it's not good for me. It's okay for you to believe that and do that and go to church and believe in God and pray and read the Bible, but I don't have to do that. We psychologicalize it all, if there's such a word. We break it down that way. Or else we say, you know what? It's not my fault, it's my parents. It's not my fault I come from this neighborhood. We like to pass the buck. We like to blame other people. Adam did it in the garden and we're still doing it. It's it's sin that was marked us, but he brought good news. He brought very good news. He brought the best news we can read. We can read about, best news we can talk about. He came and he made a way. And in this here verse, he says, come to me and I will not cast you out. He has made a promise this morning. He made a promise that he will not cast you out. Come to me and I will not cast you out. Come to me, no matter what your condition, no matter what way you find yourself. And I'm not, not just talking about salvation. Yes, we're talking about salvation, but we're also talking about other things. Come unto me, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter where you find your circumstances, no matter what your family's like, no matter what your work's like, no matter what your life's like, come to me and I will not cast you out. It's a promise that's a wonderful promise. It's a promise that is hooked in with his adoption of us. He has adopted us. We came to him 
with filthy rags of our righteousness. We came to him with our good deeds, which are so, so insufficient, it it doesn't even worth talking about. Our kindness, our generosity, what, what are they? Sometimes they're selfish. Sometimes they're proud. Our, our, our good deeds never make the mark. We can't cover up our sin. We were marred and disfigured spiritually by the ravages of sin. Can you see it? Can you see it? Here we are, God's finest creation. We were the only part of creation that actually says that we were made in his image. We were unique, spotless. We had that God element inside us. Something about us, Adam and Eve. Can you, can you see them? That's the way God's seen us, seen as perfect, seen as spotless, special, all originals. But now, after sin has come and had thousands of years to ravage us, now we come to him. We're so much different, so, so different from what we were. We're marred by sin, scarred by it, affected by it. But it promises, my friends, that he will not turn us away. I will in no wise cast out. I will in no wise cast out. I'll not reject you. This world will reject you. Religion will reject you. People around you, family, friends, everyone will reject you at some point or other for some reason or other. But he will not reject you. Don't worry about cleaning yourself up or changing your clothes or whatever. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care because he doesn't see what you're wearing. He doesn't see this. He sees this. Come to me and I will in no wise cast you out. We are of the family of God now. He won't cast us out into outer darkness. He won't cast us beyond the pale of his care and provision. He won't cast us out from his loving embrace. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus is wonderful. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? The the words actually used there are emphatic. It's not just a, I'll not cast you out. It was an emphatic, I will never, never, never cast you out. I will under no circumstances cast you out. I will not get rid of you. I will not reject you. That is the promise in that I will of Christ. What an amazing Christ. What an amazing Christ, the I will of salvation. Next, I want us to turn over to, to, uh, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. <coughs> Glory to God. Luke 5, verse 12. We'll read a few verses here, actually. It says, and it, when it came to, uh, and it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Here, the story is very well known. The man had leprosy. Leprosy was a... a was actually mentioned in the Levitical laws. It, it made him unclean. It, it made him uh, an outcast from society. And here, in his condition, 
as bad as it was. I mean, today we know leprosy, we know what it is, we know how to cure it. We know it's a deficient in some sort of, you can take tablets to get rid of it. But in those days, they, they didn't, they weren't aware of it, but it was a, it was a terrible thing. It was a, it's accounted many times often as, a, as sin in the, in the parallels. But this man has come to Jesus and he's asked for help. You know, it's important that the first place we go for help, we identify where our help can come from. Here, this man has identified Jesus and he has heard the stories. He's heard people talking about him. He's maybe been, been around town. He's had people talking about Jesus. Did you hear what he taught? Did you hear what he did? Did you hear, have you, do you know Jesus? And he has had his faith built up through these stories, through these people talking. He's had his faith built up to the point now he recognizes in Jesus the ability to, to, to help me, to cleanse me. It wasn't just to heal me, it was to cleanse me. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. It's different. It's not a healing. I mean, yes, we, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that at the moment, healing, but we're talking about cleansing. He's talking about something deeper. Cleansing, cleaning. You know, Jesus comes to us where we are. He finds us just as we are. Just as I said a moment ago, he doesn't look at the outward appearance. He doesn't look at those things we do and all the rest. He doesn't look at those places we go. He looks at us as his children. He looks at us as the, his finest creation and says, you've fallen, I have redeemed you. And he saved us. And then what he does is he begins to cleanse us. You know, he cleanses us. He changes us, changes our nature. At salvation, we are changed. We're no longer predisposed to, to, to those things. We no longer have quite the attraction, quite the pull, quite the control that sin once had in our lives. Now there's that Control has been broken. The problem is our nature, our, our habits, our, our personality, foibles, uh, all still kind of lean that way. But God has a way of, of working on those things. Jesus has a way of, of rubbing off the rough edges, of drawing us. Sometimes he does changes people's lives radically. Sometimes it's like overnight. One minute they're in the pub, next minute they never want to go back and they don't even want to go under the door. Some people, they struggle with things for years and that's, that's all right because the, the Holy Spirit and God, the promise here is I will cleanse you, that I'll work on you. I'll work on those things that you struggle with. You know, the power of sin is broken over our lives, but the presence of sin abides. We have to always be careful. Because any chance the devil gets, any chance the world gets, the flesh gets, they'll be running back. You know, there's things as, a, as a believers, as we go on in our life, you know, it's good for us sometimes to, to stop and take a, a spot check, take a wee health check. Have you ever had that on your, your computer? Get this computer, your health check of your computer. It's okay to do that sometimes, to go to the doctor and get a health check to see what in your life needs to be worked on. Because we are saved doesn't mean we're perfect. We are in a process. We have to walk this Christian life out. We have to walk his righteousness out in our lives. And in that process of stopping once in a while and, and asking ourselves, I'm not saying we should ask other people. You can if you really feel bold enough and brave enough, but ask Jesus, ask the word, you know, ask God, what, what, what is it about my life? Am I, am I as gracious as I should be? Am I as, as kind, as generous? Am I as committed? Am I as faithful? 
It's okay to ask those questions. It doesn't make us bad people. It means that we are genuinely seeking a deeper and deeper and deeper relationship with him. That we're desiring to grow up from that moment of birth, at new birth, and growing up in our faith. Where we ask ourselves, do I do this enough? Do I read enough? Maybe I don't. And I'm not talking about this in a religious way because I'm not asking us as a congregation to do it together. But this is something we sometimes have to do in a personal way. Ask ourselves individually and personally. Is there something about us that we need to work on? The real message in this one here is this this part of the sermon is, you know, asking ourselves, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't do this or say this, or maybe I should be a bit more gracious, maybe I should be a bit more dedicated, maybe I should be more faithful, maybe I should talk about Jesus more, maybe I shouldn't be so quick to anger. I'm so sharp. You know, these are things that we, we struggle with, you know. But Jesus has promised in this verse, he has promised that he will cleanse us. He'll help us work on those things. If there is things that we struggle with, don't try and, and make a, a regiment of a religious sort of click thing. You know, go to Jesus and ask him, Jesus, I, I struggle with this. Please help me. Because we can't, we can't manufacture something or make something. As we were talking there, Johnny and I, a couple of weeks ago, and I was ta- telling about friends of mine. This is an analogy, so they're not real friends. Friends of mine who had a dog, and they loved the dog. The dog was in the house, and you'd go over to the house, and you'd look in the window, and you'd see all the, the curtains all ripped up. You'd see the furniture ripped to pieces. You, you'd, you'd see paintings, and you'd see everything destroyed. The house was a mess. It had filed all over the place. It was just a terrible house. And then one day, I heard, one night, I heard that they were gone to hospital, because the dog had attacked someone. And they came out of the hospital and they came home and I, I went and visited them and I said, how are you? What's happened? You know, and they said, oh, it's all right. Just the dog got a wee bit excited and attacked us. And I said to them, you know, you need to do something about that dog. You know, you can't teach an old Adam new tricks. I mean, you can't teach a new dog, an old dog new tricks. Our old nature, our old Adam is the same. You can't teach it new tricks. Only he can. We come to him and ask him to help us. Oh, Lord, I struggle with this. Please help me. Oh, Lord, I am not as gracious as I should be. Please help me. Oh, Lord, I'm not as forgiven as I should be. Please help me. He can do it. He's promised that I will, I will be thy clean. I will. He has given us help. He's given us a promise of help. You know, we all know someone who was saved. I, I can actually think of a couple of people who got saved in their 60s and 70s, older men. Now, it's difficult for people who are older to get saved. And, and the reason for that is that they've had years and years of being a rebel against God. They have ingrained rebellion to their nature, to their core. But I know a couple of instances where God has come in and radically changed them, saved them. Men start opening the door of the church, and the first thing, come down, turn on the heat. I'm not talking about Ken, by the way. <laughs> but they come down, they open the door, they, they turn on the heat, they clean the church. Men who would never have darkened the door of a church. They get, they, they, after dinner, they, they gather with their wife and they would pray together. Men who never opened the Bible together, never prayed to God before. But that's the kind of God we serve. It's an amazing Jesus. He can do wonderful things. His promise to us today is, I will cleanse you. I'll help you with those things that you need help with. 
The third one we're coming to look at today is in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> I'm actually just going to read this one verse, 10, 32. Matthew 10, verse 32. And it says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess, confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Him I will confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. This is the I will of confession. Confess me before men, and I will confess you before the Father. You know, this verse, it comes right after the part where he's been talking about uh, the people of God, and he's saying, you know, uh, uh, talking about us, and then he throws this verse in, and then right after that, he goes right into, and there's going to be trouble, and you're going to have opposition, and people aren't going to be happy when you confess. But it's part of God's plan. He's always wanted to separate his people, hasn't he, in the Old Testament? Remember the children of Israel? They were separated. And it's not just a separation for to be totally different, and it is, but it's a separation that's to to speak to them about their condition, about their unrighteousness. Confession has been a vital part of Christian lives for centuries. You know, we believe, as, as believers, we believe that words are weapons. And it's what you say. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor was speaking on, on the book of James and about what you say in your confession and about this little tricksome thing in your mouth. So words are weapons and thoughts are things. It says in Romans 10, it says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The early, the early church had people who were uh, persecuted and, and tortured and went through all manner of things. And people who had endured, who had managed to survive being persecuted, they actually were called confessors. Now, that was then twisted over the years, but they were, there was a, something about that. Even back then, they recognized there's something about your confession. And I'm not talking about testimony, I'm talking about confession at the moment. These are men, who wouldn't, men and women who wouldn't bow the knee, but endured all manner of persecution. Now, the thing about confession is that it reinforced in our hearts and minds the truth. There's something about it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It can be used, of course, to, to reinforce normal things. You know, if I tell my wife that I love her, it's not that she's forgotten, but I am reinforcing that I love her. There's something about that in our hearts and our minds. God has got us wired up in a strange way that when we say something, that if we say it often enough, it starts to hit here and it starts to hit here. There's something, something in our, our makeup. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how it works, but it's by saying a thing over and 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 over again. That's sometimes why we go over scriptures, why we read them a million times, or why we, we read scriptures out, li out loud sometimes. It's, it's sometimes it's why we, we, we just say the same verse over and over again, because there's something about it that, that, that has an impact on us. If I confess, continually confess, you know, um, I'm going to get it today, my wife. Oh. Uh, if I continually say to Sharon, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know what I'm doing? I'm laying down a foundation. You see, the first time we have words, 
which we haven't had yet. First time we have words, I tell you, she's not going to go, oh, he doesn't love me anymore. Because I've built up a relationship. I've built up a layer upon layer. I've built up a line upon line. I've built up layers of me telling her countless times that I love her. Now, if I, in the same token, I have to say this, and I, I, do, I do honestly believe this, in the same token, if I don't say it to her, in the same token, I, if all I ever do is criticize her, in the same token, if all I ever do is, is make fun of her or belittle her, what's going to happen to my, my love for her? Now, I've made a, a conscious I will in whenever I got married, remember? But what if I start to be to belittle her, if I start to take her for granted, if I stop saying to her that I love her, what's going to happen? Things are going to die. Things are going to go hard. Things are going to go stale. How many times have marriages ended because they haven't? And whenever we as believers confess that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord of my life. Now, that's not going to change Jesus because he is who he is. He's an ever unchanging one. But if we say, I, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, I love you, Jesus. If we confess it, if we confess it, we're building up layer upon layer. We're building up a foundation of faith. The first time a storm hits, what's the first thing I'm going to think? Oh, dear. But I'm, then I'm going to say, Jesus is Lord. See how it works. We're layering up the faith. We're laying up the belief. Laying it because it's going from here to here. Because there's something that, that you can't change a man's mind. or you can, you can change a man's mind, but at the end of the day, it's the heart. You know, sometimes God does this, God does this way. He'll offend our minds. He'll offend those things that we hold in our minds to reveal what's in our hearts. And if we have built up in our, our lives a, a confession where we are saying, Jesus is Lord, and I'm not saying we do it collectively. Yes, we can do it collectively. But in our personal lives, Jesus is Lord. First time a storm hits, whenever everything starts is shaking, when everything is shaking that can be shaken, and we start to sit and think, hang on, Jesus is Lord. Yes, it's a wee bit of an automatic response, but it's the right automatic response. I've lost my place now. Dear, dear. So confession is an acknowledgement of who we are and what we believe. It is a vital part of our faith. It's an awareness and understanding that God knows who we are and where we are. He is ultimately involved in the details. But this is not just about us. This is about Jesus. These I wills are the I wills of Jesus. So we have to look, what did he say? He said, I will confess you before the Father. One of the greatest truths of the Christian faith is that God knows us. He knows us individually. No other faith. They all struggle with this. In pagan times, they struggle with the idea that God knows me individually. Because they don't have that concept. Even in Islam, there's no relationship there. It's all master to servant. Whereas in Christianity, there is father to son, father to daughter, father to his children. We have one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. I think that's amazing. It's not an angel who's the mediator for us. It's a man. He ate. He slept. He was tired. He, he, he had dreams. He, he did all manner of things we do. Everything we do, he does. He breathed. He, he went for long walks. He got out of breath, I'm sure. <laughs> Maybe not. Some would probably say that was a heresy saying that, but... 
you know, he was a man. That's the point I'm trying to make. He was a man. We have one mediator between God and man. When we confess Christ as Lord, he promises to confess us before the Father. Can you imagine it? This is almost linked in with the, the idea of we have an intercessor. You know, the scriptures go on to speak about uh, we've won it, or he is interceding for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. It's almost linked in with that there idea. Can you imagine he's in heaven? Father, see that one? That's one of mine. See that one there? That's one of mine as well. See him there? I'm really proud of him. He went and he told six people about God today. See that one there? They, they're involved in the play. See that one there? They're involved in the youth. See that one there? They, they, they go to a home group and they talk about Jesus all the time. I just can't stop them. Can you see it? God knows you. He actually knows you. Jesus tells him about you all the time. Another reason why it's important that we share, we confess our faith is that we encourage each other. You know, you might not be going through something today, but the person next to you might be. You might not be questioning things around you. You might not be questioning what you believe. You might not be struggling in your faith, but the person beside you might be. And, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. But when we confess when we confess that Jesus is Lord, when we encourage each other, when we say it to each other, when we talk about God. I mean, Johnny and I and Ricky, we go out and practically every single time we go out, we end up talking about God. Even when if we are with unsaved people, we do as well sometimes. <laughs> but you know, you're building each other up. You're strengthening each other. Because this is a family. We are family. We're brothers and sisters. We have one father. Can you see the workplace? Two people working together for 15 years. One of them leaves and at the leaving do, the other one gives him a card to say, God bless. And he goes, what? I never knew you were saved. We worked for 15 years together. I never knew you were a Christian. Can you see it? It's important we strengthen each other. We encourage each other. And confession is a vital part of that. Mark chapter one. So that was the... uh, (coughs) sorry Mark chapter 1 verse 17 for all of everyone taking notes that is number 4 we're on now so we're over the hump (laughs) praise the Lord This is the I will of service or I will of purpose. Mark chapter 1 verse 17. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. The I will of service and purpose. In a way as well though, we live in a world that is temporal. Things are changing all the time. You don't have to look in the headlines and the news and you see things. One minute it's, it's the elections and next minute it's trouble in the Middle East and the next minute it will be something in Russia and then it will be something in Asia. and then it'll be, It's so temporal. So, so many things are changing in our lives, in our world. Everything's so temporal. But this is also a promise, I believe. In a world of so much temporal and fading things, He will enable us to become people who can grasp the eternal, grasp something of worth 
grasps, grasps something that doesn't change. It's a promise because it's important that we have an eternal perspective in everything. It's, inter- it's important that we're not just living, li- we live in the here and now, but we're living for the then. We're living for eternity because this life is just the start. It reminds me of an analogy of a, a man had a rope, uh, a huge long rope, and at the end of it there's a wee bit of red. And this wee bit of red, this is life. That's your lifespan there. That's it. But we are living all that. We're living for eternity. Something about us will last, will live on. You know, we, should be more, we should put more emphasis on winning the lost, on things eternal, on reading the word, on sharing the word, on keeping our lives in focus. You know, we're living, we're not living in the land of the living. This is not the land of the living. This is the land of the dying. We are going to the land of the living. There's something in this life that's always fading. It's always ending. Two things are certain, and everyone knows it is, taxes and death and global warming. No, I'm joking. <laughs> taxes and death. It's certain. This is a life that we are living. We can enjoy it, take it to the full, praise him with all of it. But we're living for an eternal life. If the one day is coming soon and very soon. The joy of it all, a life translated from darkness into life. He says, promise me, come unto me and I will make you to become fishers of men. There's something wonderful that he has done to us. You know, you can't explain it. You can't quite understand how his word can change us. You know, something happens whenever someone's up preaching. You know, they, they, God works on their mind. The Holy Spirit inspires them sometimes, you know. Uh, and they, they read the scriptures and, and they create words and their lungs expand and the diaphragm pushes their lungs and, and it brings air out over the, the voice box and over the lips and the, the tongue and you create words which go through the air disturbing people's lives, which you then pick up with these. And then it comes into your mind and into your heart and the Holy Spirit changes people. Something wonderful about it. This is the I will of service and purpose. He will, I will make you, I will make you to be fishers of men. Yes, there's an element here where I believe it's, it's talking about saving souls. Yes, I believe that he's, he's not saying that he's going to make you suddenly have the perfect phrases for everyone that you meet. Uh, he's not going to give you the perfect verses to use, but he's going to make you a fisher of men. And what does a fisherman have? He has a net, he throws it in. What do we have? We have the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. Because we can have read every single verse to someone and nothing's going to happen unless the Holy Spirit's involved. Because it's the Holy Spirit's the work. Uh, uh, he performs the work of conviction. He's the one who performs the work of salvation. You know, I also believe that this I will is an I will of service. It's an I will of purpose. It's not just of saving souls, as I said. It's not just about giving us an appreciation for those things that are eternal, which it does. But I also believe that this is something to do sometimes with calling, with purpose in our lives. God has given you a vision. God has given you a calling in your life. I believe that he can do that as well. The I will of purpose gives us something to, to you know, a, a purpose in life. Remember Gideon hiding behind the, the 
hiding behind the, uh, thrashing out the grain. Remember the, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, thou mighty man of valor. He was anything but mighty and he wasn't even, he had no valor. But see, God does his way of doing things where he calls people. He, he calls, says, calls those things as not as though they were and lo, they have to be. So he's got that way of, I will make you. See, see whatever I've called you to do, what I've called you to be, those people I've called you to share with, those, that, that community group or, or that uh, cell group or, or that church, you know, what you're called to be there, I'll equip you to be what you, you're meant to be there. I'll help you be who you're meant to be. That's a good news. The next I will, bouncing through these rightly, the next I will is John chapter 14. John 14. And we're going to read uh, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. That's the verse there. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. You know, he didn't just save us and leave us. He didn't just promise to make us into something, give us a purpose. He didn't just do things in our lives and then leave us. Didn't just abandon us. This is adoption we're talking about here. We, in salvation, in, in God, we are adopted into his family. He didn't just adopt us into his family, take us out of the orphanage and sit us at his table and then sort of do his own thing. You've seen those images. You've seen those people doing that. You, wait, oh, here, I'll help someone needy and I'll bring him into the house. There you go. Now that proves I'm, 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 that proves I'm kind and he walk off. That's not kindness. He brought us into his family. He adopted us. And then what he does is he's in a relationship with us. I think it's going to be a shock for some people when they get to heaven and they actually see Jesus as a person. He's in heaven. Jesus went to heaven. He's, he has returned to the throne of heaven. But he left his spirit to comfort us, to be with us. He left his spirit to be there with us when we need him. I will send a comforter and that comforter, he is our strength and he is our peace. One of the greatest things I love at this time of year as we prepare for Christmas, uh, one of the greatest things I love that passage where it talks about Emmanuel, God with us. It's, it's just not the God who saved us and left. He is the God who's with us permanently, permanently abiding with us. What a promise. What a truth that he is with us. Our adoption in his family is a guaranteed guarantee that we will get attention from him. That he is cares with the intimate details of our lives. People around us don't see what we're going through, don't see what we're struggling with, don't see us at night when we're on our own, but he cares, he sees. He is there for us when we need him the most. I will not leave you comfortless. No matter what we face in life, 
he is with us to comfort and guide and protect and to strengthen. Have you ever had that moment of, of intense stress, of turmoil, of, of struggle in your life, of, of confusion, of, of you know, heartache, and you've just sat down on your own in quiet and just said his name? Jesus. 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 And he's come. Have you ever had that peace that passes all understanding just envelop you and hold you? He's promised that he will not leave us comfortless. That he is there. He sees where we are. He knows what we're going through. Call his name. If all you can do is whisper it, whisper it. As I said, this is hand in hand with his adoption of us. The image is not just of bringing us into his family, but of a relationship. We were orphans. We'd gone through a terrible time in the orphanage. We were abused, hated. The world taught us lies, encouraged us in wickedness, taught us all manner of things, told us that God was a figment of our imagination, that sin was just blowing off steam and things like that there. But now as his children... He brings us in. He brings us in and he, his banner over us is love. He brings us in and he says, you're the head, not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed when you come in. You're blessed when you go out. You're bound for eternity. You are redeemed. You've been bought back. You are my child and I love you. That's a wonderful thing to know. It's a glorious thing to know. But now as his children, we know the truth. We have his continual and unwavering presence to reassure and comfort. This doesn't necessarily have to be just a feeling, although at times it is, because we sometimes get hung up on the idea of, of feelings. It's important to remember that his presence is sometimes it's not felt. Sometimes he's there with us all the times he's there with us really and it's just really us to realize to say again he is with me he is with me does not change the way you look at your problem does not change your circumstances in a way maybe your outlook if not the circumstances themselves so don't let your feelings ruin your appreciation of his presence and saying his name gets his attention He'll be there with us, not leave us comfortless. Remember Daniel in the lion's den, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and the fourth man in the fiery furnace. He'll be there in the middle of the worst situations and in the middle of the best. He is with us, comforting us. Always whispering, keep going, my son, keep going. Keep going, my daughter, keep going. That's a promise and a half. This next one we want to look at is in John chapter 6. So it's back to where we were. Aren't these great promises? Isn't it great that he said, I will? That as an act of his will, that of his, his, his will, not just his feelings. John chapter 6.
and verse 40. says and this is the will of him that sent me that every one which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and i will raise him up at the last day this is the i will of resurrection you know it's great to remember that he came in the flesh he lived the life as any man he, he went walked the streets I, I just can't get over i can never get over that idea he walked the streets walked underneath palm trees and i says i made that and oh yeah see that hill i can remember that hill and you know, he's the eternal god but yet he walked with us and he came in the flesh you know we know from scripture at least three occasions when he raised someone from the dead quite startling quite shocking there was jairus's daughter lazarus of lazarus of bethany and the widow's son so he knows all about death and he knows all about life. He has the keys of the kingdom, the power over death and hell. Death, where is your sting? He is the God of resurrection. It may seem like Jesus is saying something, uh, by the way, oh, don't you know, since you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. And in, in a wee bit of a way, this is reinforcing that. In another way, he's taking it a wee bit further. But what is the point of living in our lives, what is the point of living a good Christian life if there is no resurrection? People in those days, up until that point, the Old Testament really hadn't said too much about it. Jesus is bringing them a revelation. You know, I, I'm the resurrection and the life. You, you know, we, we've, we can now see that there was three times where he raised people from the dead. He lived to become the perfect sacrifice and died to pay the price, but rose again to give us eternal life. We forget that sometimes he lived, he had to live the life. He had to die the death and he had to rise again. It is in the resurrection that we have eternal life. In this promise, we have a certain hope that we will be raised on that day. That he will lift up, raise us up. He will give us glorified bodies. We will close our eyes on this life close our eyes in this plane and open our eyes in a new world we go from the land of the dying to the land of the living that's a wonderful thought all the things we go through in this life as hard as they might be as effective as they might be on, on us they are only temporal this is all passing away enjoy your life now live your life for God now and then one day glory in him Just you'll be in glory and you'll praise him you know, I, I don't believe it's just going to be a praise service the whole time, but it'll be wonderful just to be in his presence all the time, to have his glory light up the world, the universe. He knows all there is to know about life and living and all there is to know about death and dying. But I want to take this a wee step further because I believe that, yes, he's talking about resurrection in heaven, but I also believe that he's capable of raising from the dead those things in our lives that he's given us, promises he's given us, things that maybe have gone dormant, things that have maybe looked impossible, promises that he gave us years ago, maybe promises he gave us and circumstances have changed and we look at it now and go, how can that ever be? Things that God has promised us. He promised he'd do this. He promised he would save this person. He promised he, uh, for household salvation. He promised this and this, and it never happened. Uh, 
I believe he's the God who can resurrect the dead. I believe he can resurrect those promises. I believe that, that they're not, just because things have gone bad or changed totally doesn't mean the promise of God isn't going to be fulfilled. He's capable of raising the dead, also capable of raising to life the dead dream in your life. That hope or promise of God that has died, it has never happened and it didn't work out. God can turn it around. He can change circumstances. He can change people's hearts. We've talked about it already. He can change people's minds. He can change, uh, change people's lives. He can change circumstances. He can turn it around. God can raise the dead. Never discount Jesus from any equation in your life. Any promise that he has ever given you, never, never leave it and go, oh, well, it just never happened. Maybe it wasn't God. Don't let the devil or the world or your flesh or your own mind steal your, steal your future of promises that God has given you. Have you ever held out for a loved one and seen them uh, just get worse and worse, go further and further into sin? The son or daughter who's run off into the world and Lord save them. Uh, Lord's given you a promise of, of household salvation and you've just seen them get worse and worse and worse and they're getting deeper into sin and further from God and their heart's getting harder. Don't, don't give up. Though it takes 20 years, go, don't give up. Jesus can still raise the dead. When Jesus gives you a promise, you can count on it. You can bank on it. You can be confident that his promises come true. Don't give up on the promise of God, the dream that God has given you. Jesus could, can raise to life that dream that he gave you years ago. As that isn't called to praise him. I don't know. That's a, that's a wonderful promise. Next, and finally, we'll turn to John 17. Jesus has made a commitment to us, not only in his covenant, but in these I wills. He will be there for us. He will help us when we need help. He will comfort us, and he'll raise us to life. John 17 this is the I will of glory. John 17, verse 24. <coughs> Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. This is the I will of glory. Quite a verse, quite a promise. I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The promise that one day we will be united with him. It reminds me of John 14. Do you remember that passage where Jesus is saying, I go to prepare a place for you that... Exactly, yeah, that's it. So in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. You know, this life is a journey. We all know it. Why is it we, why is it we all keep saying, look at the time, time's flying. Why do we say that? If we were born in this time, it would be no big deal because we were used to time unless there was something about us that was living for eternity. Unless there was something about us that knew we were eternal. 
makes no sense. But we are living this life as a journey. It's not the destination. As I said earlier there, enjoy this life. Enjoy those, the good and honourable things in this life. Enjoy them. Praise God. Serve God. But this is only part of the story. Our story continues on the other side. As we have said, going, going from the land of the dying to the land of the living. The whole, as the whole verse says there, the idea is he wants us to be with him so that we can behold his glory. It's an interesting phrase. It's an interesting idea. We have seen him in our hearts and in our minds, in our spirits. We have seen him as the suffering servant. We've seen him come to this earth. We've seen him born in our minds, as I said, in our, our hearts. We've seen him born in a major. We've seen him go through life. We've seen him, uh, the penniless preacher who goes from town to town. We've seen him doing wonderful miracles. We, we've seen those things. We've seen him suffer. We've seen him put up with the scoffing of people. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. They yelled at him. This was Jesus. We've seen those things. We've seen him suffer and die. We've seen him be put on trial. We've seen him go through those things in our minds, in our, our, our hearts. We've seen all that. But have we seen him yet as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Yes, there's part of us that believes in that and hope. We, we hold on to that because the scriptures teach that. You know, the Jews, they struggle with this, with this idea because they, they have uh, two pictures of the, the Messiah. They look for the Mashiach ben Yosef and the Mashiach ben David. Uh, the, the Messiah, the son of Joseph. Joseph, the suffering son of, of, of Jacob. Joseph, who was in prison. Joseph, who, who was eventually, he was, he was exonerated, but he was betrayed. They, 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 they see that in Jesus. We can see that in Jesus. We can acknowledge that, but they don't see him as the son of David to sit on the throne. They haven't seen that. We have seen it in faith because we've read it in the scriptures, but we have not seen it in reality. But the promise is, Father, I will that they are with me and they shall behold my glory. And we will see him and we will enter the throne room. It's going to be a huge throne room. And we will see thousands upon thousands, if not millions upon millions of people different races, nationalities, people from different time periods. I'm not saying they're going to be dressed in that time period, but, you know, people throughout the centuries who have come to Christ. We'll be able to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We'll see David. We'll see our loved ones who've gone on before us. We'll see them all in his throne room. And all of us, all we will be able to do is say, glory, glory, glory. Worthy is the Lamb. So we have seen him as a suffering servant, but we have the promise that we will see him as the king of kings, the conquering king. So we have looked today at seven I wills of Jesus, seven promises of Jesus. I will save, I will save anyone who comes to me. I will save I will cleanse whatever you're going through, whatever you've got in your life that needs changing, I will change it. I'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I will confess. Confess me before, your, before others and I'll confess you before the Father. I'll tell, I'll tell the Father God all about you. I'll keep telling him about you. I'll equip you. I'll equip you for service. I'll equip you for the promises I've given you. I'll equip you for that purpose for which you were born. I'll not leave you comfortless. 
I'll not leave you alone in this world, but I'll enter a relationship with you. I will resurrect you. I'll resurrect you at the end of time. I will resurrect you and those dreams in your life that I have given you. Don't give up on those dreams. Don't give up on Jesus. And I will glorify. I will raise you up to glory. And you'll see me as the Son of God on his throne. Sure, there's mistakes we've made. Sure, there's things. But this, isn't, this message and these I wills are not about us. They're about him. Yes, there's a part where we go to him and we ask him for help. And yes, we petition him. There's points like that. But the point is, it's about him. They're all of grace because he doesn't have to do any of them. Doesn't have to do one of them, but they're all of grace. They're of his sovereignty, but also many, like as I said, are hand in hand with our responsibility. I want to just encourage us to reach out, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Our lowest points, our points of needs, are opportunities for God to be God in our lives. God can raise the dead. 